Hey everybody, welcome into To The Point. We're all doing well on this Wednesday. It is draft night in the National Hockey League. Looking forward to that this evening, 8 p.m. start. It is a Wednesday, not the perfect night for a draft, but I'm still going to watch all of it. Got a lot of draft thoughts today. A few prospects I really like going into it. Of course, I got some thoughts on Matt Vemichkov. We know the first two or three picks, so really, I think the draft starts at number four. But there was also a bunch of trades yesterday in the National Hockey League. Of course, got lots of thoughts on that. The returns for some of these players, some good work from a few general managers. And I expect a busy week in the National Hockey League. A lot of stuff is going to happen. So we're going to dive into all of it today. Before, I'd be remiss if I didn't start the show today talking about the biggest freak in pro sports. Shohei Otani. If you were going to bed last night because it's Tuesday in June and there's not much happening, if you're a Blue Jays fan, they can't score a run against a good team, so you're probably frustrated. I get it. I really do. You want to get some sleep. You're watching the playoffs. Every game starts 25 minutes later than what they say it starts. Thanks, Gary Bettman. So you get some sleep. But there was a game last night in Anaheim where the Chicago White Sox were in town playing the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And Shohei Otani was on the mound. And this guy is having a season, to say the least. But last night he pitched. He went six and a third inning, only gave up four hits, one earned run, 10 strikeouts. His ERA is three on the season. Pretty damn good. A dominant start. Okay, six and a third, maybe you could go seven, that'd be more impressive. It's still a six and a third, more than Kevin Gosman did last night. Sorry, Blue Jays fans. And then we get to show, then we get, but he's also batting. Because the designated hitter, of course, he does both. How about he goes three for three with a walk, two homers, and two runs batted in, and the Angels won by two. So you can make the argument he got the two Game-winning runs batted in. <laughs> this, this dude's incredible. It's only June 28th. I get it. But June 28th, it is not close. Who is the MVP of the American League? Not to mention the Angels are in a wild-card race. They're second in the wild-card race behind the Baltimore Orioles. Ahead of the Blue Jays, ahead of the Houston Astros. So this team is actually competitive, but Otani leads on almost every category for the team, ERA, strikeouts, walks, home runs. He leads Major League Baseball in home runs with 28 now. But Aaron Judge is hurt. Aaron Judge may not play again this year. Buster only said last night on PTI, he doesn't know. He said it would be lucky if Aaron Judge played a, played a game in July. But I don't trust the Yankees. They're not going to tell us what's really happening. They don't want people to freak out over Aaron Judge potentially not playing again this season. It's completely up in the air. But who else is in the running in the American League? Jordan Alvarez is hurt. He's been out for three weeks. That takes away a contender. He was my American League MVP. The other interesting names all play in the, in the National League. Luis Arias batting 400. Okay, he's in the National League. Matt Olson, who leads the 
uh, second in MLB in home runs. He's in the National League. Ronald Acuna Jr., who's on a tear currently, is in the National League. Is it Bo Bichette? Is he number two? He realistically could be. He's bat. He's incredible. He's still batting over 300. You could make an argument for him. Who else? Who else is in the running? I really don't know. Nobody in the Yankees. They can't hit worse shit. The Rays are just a good team. They don't have an individual batter that you look at and go, okay, no. Nobody on the Rays. The Orioles? Nobody's going to give anything to the Orioles. And do they have an individual that just says, okay, he's so dominant? Not particularly. Twins? Get out of here. Guardians? Jose Ramirez, if we're really being nice. And I love Jose. He's one of my favorites, but no. So it's Shohei Otani and nobody else. But this dude is going to be a free agent in November. And he's going to make $600 million. $500 to $600 million on his next contract. Whether it's in Anaheim, it's in playing in Chavez Ravine for the Dodgers. He could be in the Bronx. Who knows where he's going to be. But what I do know is this year he's willing his team to be competitive because they aren't that good. He leads baseball in home runs. He's a machine pitching. He's better than he ever has been. It's, it's, it's just incredible what this dude does on a daily basis. And when he hits a home run, he hits a home run. It's not like hitting a home run in Fenway Park when you hit it to dead center a little right and it's like 310 yards. Or you hit a home run to left in Yankee Stadium. It's like hitting a pop fly in any other ballpark. This dude is crushing homers. 450 feet every one. He pulls it left. He pulls it right. He can hit it anywhere. And he's batting close to 300. <laughs> So I, I just I had to start the show talking about him because he is so fascinating. He is, thank God baseball has Shohei Otani. They need him. They need his personality. They need him to be the superstar. And English isn't even his first language, but his talent and his play supersedes language, which rarely happens. It's hard to be a superstar when you don't speak English and you play in North America. Alex Ovechkin struggled with it for a long time. He had to learn English before people really started to adopt him. People stuck with boring-ass Sidney Crosby forever because, guess what? He spoke English and it was in cliches and it was boring and nobody cared, but people loved it. Think about the the players that are marketed across the National Hockey League, across sports. They speak English as their primary language. It's just, it's a prerequisite to getting there, to being a star. But the Angels are in a wild card race. They are 44 and 37. We're a couple weeks out to the All-Star break. That's a win for Artie Moreno and the Angels for them to be at this point. At this point of the season, the fact that they are ahead of the Houston Astros who lost the Cardinals last night, that's a win. 
They're five back at Texas, who have been phenomenal this year. But the Angels are a great story, and Shohei Otani is a great story. And I don't root for anybody in pro sports. I could care less who wins. I want the Angels to be competitive because it makes it more interesting with Otani playing. At this point, we're about a month out to the MLB trade deadline. Beginning of August, late July. They still have to pick the day. It's weird the way they do it. To me, he's, he's an untradeable asset because you're competing for a playoff spot. He might be the starting pitcher for the American League in the All-Star game. Maybe it'll be McClanahan from the Rays, but McClanahan's hurt, who are you going to? You're going to go to somebody else? You're going to go to Gosman over Otani? You're not. Gosman might be a better pitcher. I'm not arguing that, that Gosman isn't a better pitcher, but who's a better brand name? Who would you rather see start the first inning? Anybody. Even if you're a Blue Jays fan, you'd rather see Otani pitch. And I'll tell you why. Because you can watch any Blue Jays game you want. They're all on Sportsnet. Giants, whether they're playing the Oakland, they're playing anybody. You get the Blue Jays every single night. I wish we got more games on national TV that weren't just the Blue Jays. But we can't always get our way. But in an all-star game format where half the public is going to be checked out anyway, because it's one of the worst times in sports. Are you going to go to a Kevin Gosman to start an All-Star game or Shohei Otani? It's a no-fucking-brainer. And Kevin's got great hair. Great hair. And I can appreciate that, because we have that thing in common. We both do. His, his would be just as good, maybe even better than mine. He's got, he's got a great lettuce. Great lettuce. And he's a great pitcher. But if you're com comparing the two to start an all-star game, great hair Kevin Gosman or superstar freak Shoei Otani, you're going with Otani. But what he's doing is just incredible, and he's fascinating to watch. He's fun. The Angels aren't a great team, and yet they, <laughs> they continue to win because of him. Mike Trout is at a... Below average season for Mike Trout. Look at their team. Mike Moustakis is now in the Angels. <laughs> Hunter Renfro, Taylor Ward. David Fletcher is back, batting 200, of course. I mean, it's crazy. And yet they're in a wild card race and they're ahead of the Blue Jays. God, that's got to make Blue Jays fans crazy. I'll tell you, I watched most of that Blue Jays game last night. They, their approach when it comes to situational baseball is really stunning. I, what was so paramount to me, I'm watching the game last night, I think it was in the seventh inning, it was in the seventh inning, yeah, because Rodgers was, was on the mound and Danny Jansen was at the plate. And Danny Jansen's become a home run hitter, but he, he's not a guy that I would give a green light. It was a 3-1, and Danny Jansen swung through a pitch outside. So 3-2, and I'm thinking, okay, 3-2. So now you have to protect, and it's again, it's the same pitch, way outside, he swings at it, he strikes out. 
Take the walk. Take the walk. I realize Kevin Biggio's behind you, but take the walk there. They're outside pitches. If you get, if you hit it, is it going anywhere? Probably not. But there was too many times last night where the Blue Jays had man on base, first inning, fourth inning, that seventh, they had opportunities in the eighth. Nothing happened. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. swinging out of his ass to try to hit a pitch outside. He struck out three times again last night. Seems the the great series against the, the vaunted Oakland Athletics have clearly the shine has worn off Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But San Francisco basically had a bullpen night. Alex Wood was great. I think he struck out nine. But was he great or were the Blue Jays hitter just that piss poor? And hitting across baseball is bad. There are more strikeouts per game than there ever have been. Because everybody's got a green light. Everybody thinks they can get a home run. The small ball approach, it is back more than it used to be, but it should be utilized more. Danny Jansen, take a walk, bunt, do the little things right. You are not the be-all, end-all of this team. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., don't swing on an outside pitch. Take it. He used to be able to, he used to walk all the time, get on base and create opportunities. Brandon Belt batting third, just swinging at air. It was one game, but to, last night to me was a byproduct of their season. You're playing a team that is really inferior to you. The San Francisco Giants have been competitive this year, which is surprising to me. They're still ahead of the Dodgers. They won't be by the end of the season, but they are currently by half a game. And they're behind Arizona, which they will be. But they're 11 games over 500. And you look at their team, and it's, it's a bunch of guys. J.D. Davis is one of their stars, and Michael Conforto, and Tahiro Estrada, Logan Webb, okay? But it's not, a vault, it's not a vaunted team. I mean, you look at the Blue Jays, you have Bichette, Springer, Guerrero, Matt Chapman, a really good pitching staff. I mean, Gosman had a really good night last night, just didn't. He takes a loss because the team can't score a run. And he was great. He struck out 11 or something, and he went six innings. He did some good work. That team, to me, their biggest mistake is just their approach and the ability of managers and baseball people in today's game just to allow hitters who should not have free will to do whatever the hell they want to have free will is so puzzling. No, you're not. Back, not even this that long ago, five, six years ago, if you're a baseball fan, you know what I'm talking about. There would be a 3-1, and the batter would look to the bench, and he would get a signal, and he would take the pitch. He would sit there and take the pitch, and it could be thrown down the middle on a 3-1. You know why? Because he knew his place in the lineup, and that was the play. You're going to sit there and take the pitch. Hopefully it misses. You get on base. It's a walk. 
Now it's, oh, Danny Jansen, number eight hitter. I got a 3-1 count. I got a pitcher who isn't finding his location. Let me swing through this pitch and bail his ass out. That's what happened way too much last night. And Gosman loses a start that he pitched really well because nobody could get ahead. And his record can't be that good for wins because he doesn't get any run support. Seven and four. So it's better than I thought it would be. But he should be better than seven and four. He's got a 301 ERA, but the same as Shelly Otani. He struck out 12 last night. I, short, I shorted him one strikeout. He was great. But Vladdy, 0 for 4. Chapman, 1 for 4. Varsho, 1 for 4. Jansen, 0 for 3 with 3 strikeouts. That's unacceptable. Your 8 and 9 hitters went 0 for 6 with 5 strikeouts. That's trash. But to me, just fundamental changes is understanding your place. Understanding where you stand in the lineup. Danny Jansen should not have just free will to be able to think that he can do whatever the hell he wants and he's going to remain on the roster, but he does. And it can either be from lack of depth or these catchers knowing the pitcher loves me, they're never going to get rid of me. I have rapport with this pitcher, they'll never pick somebody else to pitch when he's on the mound. That's a problem in and of itself. But a lot of these teams that stink this year, the Yankees don't stink, but they aren't good. They lost to the Athletics last night. They can't hit without Aaron Judge. But they're striking out a ton. The Astros don't have great depth. I mean, the Twins don't get... Oh. Look at these best teams. Ronald Acuna is batting 330 on the season. Austin Riley's batting 270. It's not great, but it's not bad. Ozzie Albies is 263 in, in Atlanta. Sean Murphy, a catcher, is batting 289. Ozuna is starting to find his game a little bit. He's up to 250. He's still not a great hitter, but he's he's been better this year than he has been in a long time. Batting average still matters to me and getting on base and the little fundamental things. And teams like the Blue Jays, the Yankees, the Mariners, they don't do it. The Diamondbacks can hit home runs. But they're also just a fundamentally good baseball team. And that's why they've had such success this year. They crushed the, the Rays last night 9-4. to four. They're not slowing down. They're not waiting for the Dodgers to catch up. They believe that they can win the National League West, which why not? Go for it. But we shall see what happens here. But to, that's a quick little baseball update. Just watching a few things last night and some staggering things around baseball that just clearly result in losing. To hockey. We start today with the biggest of the many trades yesterday, and that was the Winnipeg Jets 
pulling off a deal that's been talked about for over a week. They dealt Pierre-Luc Dubois to the Los Angeles Kings for Rasmus Kupari, Alex Ayafalo, Gabe Velarde, and a 2024 second-round pick. And with the deal, Los Angeles extended PLD eight years, 8.5 million per season. So eight years, 68 million for Pierre-Luc Dubois. So let's start with LA. I talked about LA being aggressive, wanting to try to win. You have Andre Kopitar. You have Philip Dunno, who they signed a few years ago. You still have Drew Doughty. And you have some good young prospects on this team. But they've lost back-to-back years in the first round, and they clearly felt they weren't good enough to get over the hump. They looked around and said, what centers are available? What great players are available? I linked Los Angeles with Austin Matthews. This should make Leaf fans really happy. To me, it's a done deal. He'll be returning to the Toronto Maple Leafs with Dubois going to L.A. But they said Pierre-Luc Dubois wants out of wants out of Winnipeg, and he will agree to a long-term extension here. He liked Montreal, but who can turn down Los Angeles, and they're a team that can be competitive and try to win. The center depth for, for L.A. is going to be elite. You go Dubois into Kopitar into Dunno or some combination of that, I don't know many teams that can match that. That is, and honestly, what I like about that is all three are decent defensively. Dubois would be the worst of the bunch. But he... He's fair. Andre Kopitar is elite, and Philip Deneau is a guy that can win Selkies. That that's his thing. That's that's the best. That's the best element of his game. So I love that depth, and you have Blake Lazote behind him, who's up and coming, going to be a fourth line center. He's physical. He's tough. He's mean. So I like that. That four centers. That's hard to beat, really hard to beat, in my opinion. But this is their team. Byfield, who's going to be a winger, Kopitar, Kempe. You have Pierre-Luc Dubois, Kevin Fiala, who they signed last offseason, and Arthur Kaliev. Arvidsson, Deneau, Trevor Moore, who's been great since coming to Los Angeles. Then you have guys like Carl Grundstrom, Blake Lizotte, and Jared Anderson Dolan that would make out their fourth line. It's a pretty good team. It's a pretty good team, and you look, I'll get to their back end in a second. Do Here's the thing. They didn't give Dubois a no-trade clause. That's a win. I talked about that on Monday. You don't give them out. He doesn't have a no-trade, so he doesn't have to be in Los Angeles for the rest of his career. So that's a, that's a good thing. Eight years, eight and a half. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, yes. Do I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is a bona fide number one center? I do not. I do not, but you look at the number one centers just in this past Stanley Cup final. Jack Eichel plays a different style. 
on uh, Florida. I'm not even going to say it's Sasha Barkov because it isn't. I'll go Sam Bennett on that team. Very different styles. And if you have a great team, you don't need a bona fide superstar. If, as long as you have a superstar somewhere on your team. And I, I would still argue that Los Angeles' best player on this team currently is Adrian Kempe. Even more than Kopitar, more than Pierre-Luc Dubois, he's, he's just a stud. He's a stud. He can shoot. He can pass. He's fast. He does a lot of great things. If you want to change your sleep schedule this year, watch the Los Angeles Kings. Adrian Kempe is fun to watch. This four group, I might want to add another winger with some experience in for agency or via another trade. Because that's something I, I look at and just go, hmm. You know, Kaliev, not really proven yet. Jared Anderson, Dolan. I think you can add a guy for 700 grand to a million bucks to play on your fourth line that will bring some veteran, that'll bring some experience to this team and, and help them win. And Los Angeles has been good with doing that in the past. Mike Richards played a bottom role with this team. Kyle Clifford was great for a number of years. So I think they can do that. But I don't mind the eight years, eight and a half. It's a lot of money, but it doesn't have to be forever. And I think it's a tradable contract because the salary cap is going to go up. And he's a center iceman. He's going to log a lot of minutes. He's going to play in big situations. So I don't mind that. Their defense, you have Drew Doughty and Mikey Anderson. Love that pair. They re-signed Gravikoff already this offseason with Matt Roy. They have... and. The rest of their team, it's, it's up in the air who their defense. They have Tobias Bjornfoot, who's in the mix currently. They traded uh, Sean Dursey to open up cap room for this. And they also have Brant Clark, who will be coming to possibly the NHL next year. He'll be playing in the American League at the very least. And they also have Jordan Spence, who will be looking to push through, who's played in for um, – played in Ontario for the last number of years. So they have options on the back end for Los Angeles. But for LA, they wanted another fringe star player to their team. They added that. And are they better today than they were yesterday? I'm gonna say yes. I'm going to say yes, even though I love the return for Winnipeg, and we'll get to that in a second. But I don't think it's a mistake trade for Los Angeles because they are in a different position. The pieces they gave up to Winnipeg might be great in the future, but they aren't great right now. In the past years, past two years have been almost developmental, where we make the playoffs and we hope these players can blossom can get better in the postseason to get us to that next level, to beat the Edmonton Oilers, who they've lost to back-to-back years in the first round, and they haven't. Or it hasn't been enough at the very least. They go seven two years ago. They went six in April. So technically, you got worse year over year. And you look around and say, these pieces are great, but we're trying to win here. Drew Doughty is still playing at a really elite level. We have Kopitar for another year. 
We just uh, locked up Mikey Anderson, who we're really excited about. We have Gavrikov for two seasons under contract. Fiala's got another six. Kempe is locked up. Kaliev's on a rookie deal. Trevor Moore's under contract. Arvidsson. Dano. This is this is the moment. Enough of pussyfooting around and just kind of hoping to break through. Let's do something to really help us get to that next level. And I think this was a good decision for Los Angeles because they realized they needed something else. And sometimes you can only get what's available. Do I think they would have preferred Austin Matthews in a perfect world? Yes. But Austin Matthews, in my mind, is going to resign with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Los Angeles can't talk to Austin Matthews because he's under contract with Toronto. So you can hope he's going to come to your organization. You can say, well, we're going to throw this money at him. But if he's locked up and you don't make this deal, then you're stuck. And Los Angeles had to do something because Montreal was nipping at their heels. And maybe if Kopitar's contract runs out and he doesn't get an extension this summer and Matthews doesn't resign for some reason, again, don't think it's going to happen, but I'm just running through the possibilities, then you throw some money at him. And you have Dubois and Deneau and you have everybody. You have an even better team going into 2024, 2025. Again, I have to say this every time for Leafs fans. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm just throwing, away, throwing out the possibility because Los Angeles is a big city. They do enjoy their sports in Los Angeles. I know it's tough to imagine anybody else liking sports more than Toronto, but it does happen. So let's pivot to Winnipeg. I look at Kevin Sheveldayoff, who's been at the helm for 13 years in Winnipeg. That's a long time to be a general manager of one franchise. Since they returned to Winnipeg, he's the only guy that's done the job. Hasn't been fired. Hasn't really even been on the hot seat, seemingly. They love him in Winnipeg. Chevy has been a GM that's been very hesitant, that's been very safe in his tenure in Winnipeg, but he's at a crossroads here. He knows multiple people don't want to play for his team anymore. And I can make it sound nice. I can make, I can smooth it out, but let's just be honest here. It's to the point. We're not bullshitting. Pierre-Luc Dubois was done with the Winnipeg Jets. Done with it. Connor Halbach doesn't believe this team's going to win. He's done with it. Mark Shifley is sick of the coaches. He's sick of something. He doesn't want to play for the team anymore. He's done with Winnipeg. And Blake Wheeler is going to be bought out. So whether he wants to play there or doesn't want to uh, play there, he's not going to be on the team anymore. So let's, let's, let's put all the honesty on the table for a second that these guys, like some players in Calgary, don't want to be there anymore. So going into it, you know they don't want to be there. They're not going to re-sign. You, your hands are tied. So what are you going to do? To me, he looked around and said, where can I get the best deal from? And I think he did. He took three prospects, but three NHLers. They're prospects, but they are NHLers currently. But I, I still... I label them as prospects because they're not at their full potential yet. He took three prospects and a second rather than taking, say, two and a first. And I don't mind the approach. 
Alex Ayafalo is a very nice player. A very nice player. I, I would say his style is defensive-minded, heavy for... He's kind of, honestly... I think they liked him... I think they liked him in, in L.A. because he, he plays like Kopitar. He plays like Kopitar a little bit, but he's a winger, but he's big, he's physical. I like the way he plays. So they get Alex Ayafalo. Gabe Velarde had his best year last year. He had 23 goals and 18, 18 assists. And for what, it's worth, for what it's worth, he was a plus 10 for my parents out there who like plus minus. His best year, he, he's got a great shot. He's a confident kid and he's a bona fide NHLer. That's another thing. You know he's going to play in the NHL next year and he's going to bring things to the table. I like Gabe Velarde. I mean, you get 23 goals. I think he can get to 25, 30. I really do just because of his shot alone. He's not a guy that's going to create a whole lot of opportunities. You need to see, he needs to be set up for these chances. But you pair him, you know, Cole, they have Cole Perfetti on this team, who's a great passer, a really good passer, who's another young player. Then you have something going for you. So Velarde is a goal scorer to the core. He's got a great shot. Love that. Kupari is the, the one here that's the least proven. He had three goals and 12 assists last year through 66 games. That's only 15 points, obviously. But he was a 2018 first rounder and has 29 points in 130 NHL games. He may be a bust. Could be. He could just be a guy that's a third to fourth line player. But he's a center. You throw him in the deal and you see where he fits. This Winnipeg team is going to look a lot different than it does right now, in my opinion. Will Connor Hellebuck be a Winnipeg Jet at the start of next season? I don't think so. Will Mark Shifley be a Winnipeg Jet at the start of next season? I don't think so. But they might have a young, fun team next year in Winnipeg that will be competitive and will be quicker to compete again than I initially thought, and that's my mistake. They buy out Blake Wheeler, which they will. He'll be gone. It's going to save them money, and they'll be able to bring in pieces. They'll still have Kyle Connor. I'm going to say Shifley's gone. Ehlers, Ayafalo, Velarde, Perfetti, another year. Good veteran and Niederreiter. Adam Lowry, my guy. Appleton, Gustafson, Kupari. That four group doesn't have a bona fide superstar, but to me, the Winnipeg Jets could be the Seattle Kraken next year, where they're going to play in a weaker Western Conference. You think about it, Chicago's going to be terrible. That team's not going to be competitive, not to be a very good team. So, so that'll be happening. You're going to have... Just looking at the NHL here so I can really dive into it. Seattle, uh, sorry, they're in the Pacific. What am I doing? Standing, so I can go through this. 
St. Louis, transition. They missed the playoffs. They were horrible last year. Who knows what they do? They're making some moves. We'll see. Nashville, full-on rebuild. Winnipeg will be better than Nashville. Minnesota should be competitive. We'll see. Colorado, they'll be good. Chicago, no. Arizona, give me a break. Could Winnipeg finish in the top four of that division? Yeah, I think they could. I don't see them being better than Colorado. No chance. I Maybe Minnesota's goaltending is a question mark. We'll see what Winnipeg does in net. Minnesota, I don't think they're going to be better than Minnesota. St. Louis, maybe. And then there's Dallas, who's the, the X-Factor team. But I like what Sheveldayoff did because he took players to put on his roster right away rather than prospects and hoping to succeed down the line. Because you still have Morrissey. DeMello's a good player. Pionk, Brendan Dillon. Their defense is small. That's the one thing I hate about it. But it's not a bad defense core. But all things considered, you're up shit creek without a paddle. You know that this player is not re-signing and the rest of the league knows. And for you to get Rasmus Kupari, Alex Ayafalo, Gabe Velarde, and a 2024 second round pick? Credit to you. Credit to Chevy. What a deal. Good on Los Angeles. Good on them. I love it. But seriously, Shovel Day off? What a trade. We'll get to a bad trade with the Calgary Flames here in a second and just what the hell they did. But you're in the same situation and you made it happen? Good on you, man. It's impressive stuff. Winnipeg Jets will be a fun team next year. And they still have moves to be made. Because I would, I would trade Mark Shifley. Start a new era in Winnipeg. I don't want him on the team. I don't want him on the team with this group. Because he's going to leave it. I want fresh faces. And I want a team that I can build with and build towards the future. So Shifley, you go. Wheeler, you're bought out. It's a new era in Winnipeg. Josh Morrissey would be my team captain. And you build a fun team. You have a fun situation. You have fun players. They're young. It's exuberant. There's hope. There's momentum. And it's not... Remember the way they started this year where they had to strip Wheeler and training camp was really, it was unsettling and Shifley was pissed off and Rick Bonus. It was, it was just weird. Have a young team that's going to make mistakes because they're young. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to have bad defensive assignments. They're going to cheat. It's all going to happen. Yes. And this team isn't going to win a Stanley Cup next year, but this team will be funner to watch than the Winnipeg team that was there this year. They got punked by Vegas in the playoffs. But fun, good move. Good move by Kevin Sheveldayoff. Good move. I think it's a win-win trade for both sides. Now, I will say, do I think, when it, do I think LA wins a cup with Pierre-Luc Dubois on this roster? Where it's currently constructed? No. So is it really a win? That remains to be seen.
two trades yesterday that I want to pair together and talk about. And this, these two deals are so backwards to me, I still don't get it. I took the night to think about it, and I, I don't get it. So, earlier Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, let's say early afternoon, the Montreal Canadiens acquired restricted free agent Alex Newhook from the Colorado Avalanche for a 2023 first overall pick, which is the 31st pick in the draft, a second, a second overall pick, which is 37, and defenseman Gianni Fairbrother. So you could argue 31 and 37, they're both second-round picks, even though one's late in the first round. You're picking that high in the first. You have two second-round picks for RFA Alex Newhook. Okay, my initial thought, that's a lot. It's a lot. Alex Newhook is, I like Alex, he's from the Maritime area, 16th overall pick by the Colorado Avalanche in the 2019 draft, he's only 22. So he still has some room to grow, he's from St. John's. But in 159 NHL games, he's got 66 points. And not everything's about points, but there's also the fact that he's small, that's He's 5'10". He's my height. I wish I was 6'2". I'd give anything to be 6'2". I'm not. Everybody else in my family took the fucking height, so they stole it all from me. Thanks, uncles, my dad, everybody else. My dad's not that tall. He's taller than me, so. But, I mean, his career high in points is 33. Last year, he played 82 games. He had 30. He had 33 and 71 in 2021-2022. And he was playing second-line role. He was given lots of opportunity in Colorado, and not much happened. He was an afterthought when Colorado won the Stanley Cup. He was in and out of the lineup, and he was not a big contributor there. Alex Newhook, for me, in Colorado just about a year and a half ago, he was an untouchable asset. Because I think they looked at him as a guy that had a lot of potential and was a key part of their future. But he never broke out. He never got any better. So they said, okay, we'll allow him. We'll trade him to Montreal. Well, I think Montreal's wanted him for a while now. And Montreal and Colorado like to do trades. Uh, Colorado traded Justin Barron to Montreal. Now they do the new hook deal. So these two teams have a relationship. It, it's similar to, I remember Toronto used to always do deals with Arizona. You know, they used to find trade partner there. And... You just see a lot of these teams do deals together. So it's a lot. I wouldn't have given up that much for Newhook, who's an RFA, who I think they knew Colorado doesn't really want that much. They're trying to get better. They lost in the first round. Joe Sackick is not okay with that result. What can we do to get better? Alex Newhook's not helping our team. Let's do something else. So I paired that deal with the Tyler Toffoli trade. Last night about 8 p.m. I get on my phone, the Calgary Flames have traded Tyler Toffoli to the New Jersey Devils for Yegor Sharangevich, RFA, and pick 80, which is a third rounder, in the 2023 NHL draft. What? That's it? This isn't the onion? 
This isn't a joke. We got Tyler Toffoli for, to New Jersey for an RFA, Sharon Gavich, and a third rounder? <laughs> what? And Alex Newhook got the worst way you could frame it, two, second, two high second rounders or a first and a second and a prospect? Tyler Toffoli, who's a multiple-time Stanley Cup champion, produced, who had a career year last year in Calgary. And Alex Newhook, also Stanley Cup champion, but did far less when it comes to winning it, and has been an adequate prospect at 22 years old. What happened here? What? Montreal, what are you doing? And Calgary, what are you doing? Calgary was in the same exact position as the Winnipeg Jets. Pierre-Luc Dubois wants out, not going back. Tyler Toffoli wants out, year left on his deal, not going to resign. So do they have some control? Yes, but they could play out the last year of their deal for both sides. Calgary basically said, take Tyler Toffoli. Take him. We don't want Tyler Toffoli. He's not worth our time. Just take him, New Jersey. What? Is he going to be as good as he was last year? Probably not, but I'll still take him. He doesn't have to be good. If you think of the trade as in Tyler Toffoli was acquired for Yerger Sig Sharon Gavich in a third. This is the steal of steals by Tommy Fitzgerald. Tyler Toffoli had 73 points in 82 games last year. He was the one bright spot on a shit season, a shit sandwich of a season for the Calgary Flames. Nothing went well. Disaster. We suck. Huberto dipping by 50 points. Kadri not doing anything special. Our goaltending is pathetic. We hate Daryl Sutter. Everybody wants out. Tyler Toffoli rocks. 73 points. What? Is he going to get 65 points next year? I don't know. Tyler Foley. I don't know. Maybe not. He'll get more points than Alex Newhook. I'll, I'll guarantee you that. I'll guarantee you that. New Jersey. My Devils. My Devils get Tyler Toffoli for nothing. I mean, I mean, what's happening here? Nico Heischer, Jack Hughes, McLeod, Dawson Mercer, Jesper Bratt, Nolan Foote, Palat, Halla, Tatar, Miles Wood, Bastion, Timo Meyer, Tace Thompson, Tyler Toffoli. I mean, the Devils have been active. Resign Halla, resign Bratt, brought in Travis Green, assistant, see a Damon Severson, see a Mackenzie Blackwood, who was traded to the San Jose Sharks yesterday. And you bring in Tyler Toffoli for Sharon Gavich. What a, what a trade. The New Jersey Devils have to get bigger. Tyler Defoley is strong, he's a good winger, and he brings that toughness to this team. I still want them to get larger, 
so that they can be a playoff team, a real threat next year. But the New Jersey Devils are emerging as a Stanley Cup threat. They are. This team is very good. Very good. And Plot missed most of the year last year. If he can be healthy, and you have Tatar and Miles Wood, and maybe Ryan Graves leaves him for agency, but Simon Nemec could replace him in the lineup, a youngster coming in. I still think they can make a play for Connor Hellebuck and Net. I still think there's a trade there that makes sense, in particular because you gave up nothing for Tyler Toffoli. Tom Fitzgerald has quietly done some really good work already. Technically, free agency hasn't even started yet. So he might do more when it comes to there. There's the draft this evening. He's going to have to extend Timu Meyer, which it was reported this morning. Sounds like things are going in the right direction. He'll be back being a restricted free agent. They don't even have to re-sign Tyler Toffoli. For that return, you don't have to sign him to a long-term extension if you don't want to. Because you gave up nothing. You get him for one year, try to win a Stanley Cup, and you let him walk. Not crazy to me if, that, if that's the play. Because what did you lose from that experience? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, wait. We had Tyler Defoli for a year. We lost Sharon Gavich. Oh, we'll miss him so much. Let him go to Calgary. But these two trades match together. They should be the polar opposite. Newhook in no fucking world should have brought in that return. That return should have been brought in for Tower DeFoley. What was... They must have been smoking some good ganj in Montreal yesterday. They must have been watching half-baked and got fully baked. And then said, let's pull the trig on this deal. Okay, you have a lot of draft picks. I get it. And we'll take a chance on Newhook. Take a chance on him for less. Colorado was giving him away. They want to bring in new pieces. They got salary cap space. They want to make a move. They want to make some moves here. No. Let's keep him. Ooh. So, good on New Jersey, good on Colorado, because they flipped that second round pick they got from Montreal, they flipped that to Tampa today for Ross Colton. Ross Colton's a good player, who's been a good player on playoff teams. They couldn't keep them too, you know, Tampa's got a shed salary. They can't bring everybody back. And he, he, they moved that pick to bring in Ross Colton from Tampa. Tampa gets another draft pick, which is actually not bad for them because they need to start getting some. So we'll see. But good moves. And actually, Yeager Sharangevich has signed a new deal with the Calgary Flames. Two years times $3.1 million, so that was an RFA. He's locked up with the Flames after being traded yesterday. 
good security for him and the Flames get a winger that will be NHL ready. And some Leaf news. David Camp, the Maple Leafs fourth line center, signed a four-year extension with the Leafs, officially carries a $2.4 million annual average value deal. So four years times 2.4 for David Camp. He will be a Maple Leaf for a long time. Hmm. As I quickly think about this one, so $9.6 million. Four years is a lot. Four years is a lot for these type of players. For a fourth line guy, I think it's two years like max. Two years max for these guys that are really interchangeable. I look at that Cali Yarncroke deal. I don't think they, I think they regret that. I know Tree Living does. He has to sit there and look at it because Kyle gave it to, to Yarncroke. But four years for David Camp, who is a good player, don't get me wrong. But he is limited in what he brings you. He is not going to bring anything to the table offensively. He's going to compete hard, win faceoffs. I like him in the short term. But long-term, is it perfect? Not ideal, no. So, I like David Camp. I just wouldn't have given him four years. Good for him and his representatives to get a four-year contract from the Maple Leafs. Because he didn't have a he had, a... he had a good year last year. He played hard. He was great in the postseason. He got completely destroyed by Radko Gudas. Remember that massive hit? He came back into the game, which credit to him because most people wouldn't. But is he is he worth the gamble of a four-year contract? To me, he's not. Not something I would have done because I just I don't give fourth liners four-year deals. That's what he is. He's a fourth line center. Kills penalties and he competes hard. He does all the little intangible things that you can't really measure. But that's not something I would have personally done. But he is a good player for the short term. So good on the Toronto Maple Leafs for getting David Camp to return. Also yesterday, I mentioned Mackenzie Blackwood was traded from the New Jersey Devils to San Jose. They get a 2024 six-rounder. They were they were ready to move off of him. He's been more pain than good for New Jersey. Missed a lot of time during COVID. Then he was injured this season. So San Jose takes a, a gamble on a goaltender. They don't expect to be very good next year. So they get Mackenzie Blackwood. Now New Jersey has to decide what to do. They got Vanacek, who's still under contract. I think they should make a play for make a play for Connor Hellebuck. Would Vanacek have to go back in that deal? That remains to be seen. But I think New Jersey, who's already been active, will continue to be active throughout this offseason. 
The Dallas Stars uh, re-signed Evgeny Dadnoff, who they got at the trade deadline last year, two years, $2.25 million per season. He was acquired via Montreal. He actually had a pretty decent postseason. Dallas was in a conference final. I, In my opinion, that team looks at themselves and says, we think we can compete again. We have a young goaltender in Jake Ottinger, who's one of the best in the world. Yes, Sagan and Ben are a year older. We got Jason Robertson. We got Rupe Hintz. Joe Pavelski is coming back to this team. We can still compete. I'd like to see them get a few more depth when it comes to wingers and just bottom six players who can play on a given night and add something because they didn't have enough of those this year. Dadnoff helps in that respect, but that's what really Dallas has to do this offseason and find some help on the back end for Miro Heiskanen because he had to do way too much in the postseason. And Kevin Hayes, St. Louis acquired Kevin Hayes from Philly for a six-rounder. Philly also retains 50% of the contract, which is $3.57 million per year for the next three years. Kevin Hayes was supposed to be moved in that blockbuster deal Involving Tory Krug. Tory Krug says no, but St. Louis still ends up with Kevin Hayes. I'll tell you, Philly's moving salary. Just only get a six-rounder and you have to retain 50%. <laughs> Kevin Hayes didn't have a whole lot of value on uh, league-wide, really, because that that return is very, very little. And you, and you keep half the money. Good on St. Louis, but Philly, I would have, you think, maybe get a third to fourth round pick at the very least for that, but a six-rounder in 2024, I mean, that's, that's nothing. I mean, that's, that's just a throwaway. That basically says get him on. To me, for a six-rounder, you might, you say, take the whole damn deal or we're only taking 25% because that's, that's crazy to me. He was their leading point getter on their entire team last year, Kevin Hayes in Philadelphia. And he's he's thrown, he's thrown out for, for nothing. He's you know, he's trash just being thrown outside. So tough break for him. Certainly tough break for for Philly to have to take that money. And he goes to St. Louis where he'll be able to compete more for for a, a Stanley Cup in all likelihood. I think St. Louis still views their window as being open. They're an interesting team to follow this offseason. But Philly's in complete tear-down mode. They want to give, get contracts off their roster. Darren Dreger was tweeting this morning that Travis Sanheim, they would still like to move him, and there's a lot of interest around the league in Travis Sanheim. So... So some interest level there. Maybe they, they got the seventh pick in the draft as well. So maybe there's a move that they can move up or who knows. But we'll get to uh, the draft here in a minute because I just saw a mock draft come out from Sam Cosentino who works for Sportsnet. And oh, I got some opinions on the draft. But we'll get that in a second. I want to talk about Eric Carlson for a minute. 
It's Monday night. I didn't watch the awards, but I figured out who won them via Twitter. <coughs> Excuse me, and other outlets. And I saw Eric Carlson won his third Norris Trophy. Which, do I think he should have won the Norris Trophy? No. But he wins his third Norris. He's on a horrible team. He's one of the worst true defenders in the National Hockey League. Just look up any metric. But he wins the Norris Trophy because that's the way the award's won now. It's more about points. It's less about actually playing defense and being good at both ends. But credit to the game for, uh, for ruining that award and tarnishing it forever. But Eric Carlson is still available. He clearly can still put up points. He had a great season. He wins at Norris. And you'd think if a man who just won a Norris is on one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League, which he is, he would be looked at fondly from the entire league. Not really. Because <laughs> Eric Carlson is slated to make $11.5 million for the next three years. Now, the three years at 11.5, and he's got a full no-move clause, so he gets to choose where he goes. Any team that would acquire Eric Carlson would need to retain salary. So that's a problem. You think, well, Toronto, maybe you get a third team. You retain 50. San Jose retains 50. Another team retains 25. But then Mike Greer came out and said, expecting us to retain 50% of the salary, probably not going to happen, which I don't blame him. Unless it's a fantastic return coming back, I'm not retaining 50% of 11.5. You want an Norris Trophy winner? Go trade for him. Come get him. You can have him. We'll retain 25%. That's it. We're not going any higher. Maybe go up to 33 and a third if you can get a really fair deal done. But Mike Greer's already making that well-known through the media. And I think that's a smart play. And I, I, would, I, I don't think it's just him pontificating. I, I think it's the truth. I don't think he wants to keep 50% of Eric Carlson's contract. Because who would? Now, where does he make sense? To me, Toronto doesn't make any sense. Of course, Toronto's going to be rumored. There's articles written. I'm not. If that happens, okay, I'll be surprised. I think that's poppycock. I think that's stupidity. I'm going to live in the world of reality. Carolina. I, I see Carolina mentioned. I don't think Carolina's a realistic suitor because Carolina won't take on that much money. Carolina's not going to pay that much. They're not going to trade a whole lot. They do what they do. They let players walk. They almost let Jordan Stoll walk because they, they're so fixated in what they do and how they how they play the position. And by the way, they don't need more defense. They don't need more defense. It's not the weakness of their team. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Carolina was mentioned. Don't see the fit. The team that makes the most sense for Eric Carlson is the Seattle Kraken. Why? Seattle has a good defense. And they have some really good defensive defensemen. Jamie Alexiak, Carson Soucy, who might be gone through for agency. But Adam Larson is as good as it gets in the NHL. You have Vince Dunn, 
Seattle has a very strong defense score, but it's not elite. Good, not great. Now you can look around and say, well, Eric Carlson would help our team when it comes to the power play. He'd get points. And we have players around him that can insulate. So it's not just him roaming free and doing whatever the hell he wants and making this team less successful than it was last year where Seattle made it to the second round. Game seven, I might add. Game seven of the second round. He makes sense because they can afford him because they're, sal- they're not at the salary cap. They're not at the, at the top yet. He brings some star power to Seattle. He's 33, but he can still play, clearly. You have three years with him under contract. And if you have Eric Carlson in Seattle, maybe other free agents want to come. You have the opportunity to win. Seattle's a fun city. I don't think you need to market it all that much. People like Seattle. And you have really good pieces there already. You have a good team. It was second round of of the playoffs. You lose to Dallas by one goal. You lose 2-1 in game seven. You're that close to going to a conference final in your second season in franchise history. So you know you're there. You know you're there. We can compete with Edmonton. We compete with Calgary. We're better than Vancouver. We're better than half our division already. But how do we get to that next level? Carolina, Toronto, Ottawa. I saw Ottawa. These teams, don't, they don't mesh. It's making a trade in desperation. It's not making a trade that makes sense. And there's two different things. LA made a trade because it made sense and they needed another star. Toronto acquiring Eric Carlson because they need a better defense. I agree with that. But Eric Carlson on Toronto, I don't think makes the defense that much better. It makes a weakness a weakness. It doesn't, I don't see it as a strength. I don't see it improving anything because his defensive play is horrible. He's loved in Ottawa for his offensive play. I get it. But you ask people that really know the game, is he a good defenseman? He isn't. And he's won three fucking Norris trophies. And that's my problem with the award. He stacks points. Okay. What, what are you winning with stacking those? He was on the third worst team in the NHL last year. And you want, you want an award for being the best defenseman in the whole damn league? Okay, well, the rest of the team sucks. Maybe you're a part of the problem. You're a superstar. How about do it on both ends? Just a thought. But Seattle can bring him in. He'd be the biggest salary pretty much on the team. But if you can get a team to take 25%, maybe you only get him at – if you get retention, 25 from San Jose, 25 from team number three, a third team. And you have to – obviously you have to give up stuff, but they got draft picks. They got draft picks. They got prospects that can make it happen. They just made it to the Colorado Cup final. They got players that are ready to play in the NHL now. Guess what? They can't all play in Seattle. So you can make this happen. 25 retention from San Jose. 25 retention from Arizona. Just pontificating. And you get Eric Carlson at $6 million for three years. That is manageable. Now, it'd be better if you could get him at four. That'd be perfect. If you get him at $4 million, 
which would go 50 and you go 25 with another team, that would be what it, be about what it would be is 4 million bucks. But 6 million times three is more manageable. It's not 11.5 is not doable for any team. No team is trading for Eric Carlson at 11.5 million. Cause it's an albatross of a contract. It's a mammoth. It's one of the worst contracts in the NHL period. In particular, because the Lucic contracts and Oposos just wrapped up. But if you get the player at six, you make the deal. Carolina could afford to do it because they don't spend it to the, to the cap. But do they, they got Brent Burns. They got Pesci still. He might still be on the team. My guy Slavin. They got a good defense score. They might get uh, Tony D'Angelo back from Philly. Still waiting to get that done, but he could be back. It's a pretty good top four. Where does Eric Carlson fit in? Is he taking power play minutes from Brent Burns when Carolina had a really good power play last year? Carolina needs some wingers. They need people to score goals. Eric Carlson, that's not... No. They need that William Nylander, Brett Pesci trade that I've talked about forever. They need to pull that off. They need to find a team with wingers that they're willing to part with. Not more defense. Your defense is fine. Find a decent goaltender, add some scoring on the wings. Carolina could win the Stanley Cup next year. No doubt about it. Because they're built to do it, and they have one of the smartest head coaches in the whole league. And Rob Renamore. And that team will be ready to play night in, night out. You can bet your ass on that. But to me, Eric Carlson to Seattle makes sense. Eric Carlson to Ottawa, Eric Carlson to Toronto, Edmonton, Carolina. Doesn't make sense. We'll see. I think he does get moved. I think it's a difficult trade to pull off, though. It's a lot of moving parts. You need that third team in all likelihood. And again, if I'm Mike Greer, I'm not taking 50% for the next three years. Because I don't want to be where I am right now for three years. I don't want to be a pathetic team that isn't close to being competitive. Three years is a long time. I want to find a way to be Kevin Shevelyoff and turn this into something where I'm competitive sooner than I thought. Where I got some young talent and maybe we'll be that fun upstart team and we can build around it. But I do expect them to get moved this summer. The NHL draft is this evening. I'm looking forward to it. My initial thoughts going in. To me, the first three picks have already been made. They will go as follows. Obviously, Connor Bedard is going to the Chicago Blackhawks. Duh. Adam Fantilli will go number two to the Anaheim Ducks. And basically, Jarmuk Ekalainen played his hand. He said, we're going to take a franchise-changing centerman. That sounds like Leo Carlson of Sweden to me. So those are going to be the first three picks in the draft. Number four, the pick is owned by the San Jose Sharks. Here's my first thought. San Jose do not trade the pick. 
There have been rumors teams have been inquiring about the number four pick. Don't trade it. Don't trade it and take Matvey Michkov. I don't care if this player is from Russia, if he's from Dagestan, if he's from a hole in the fucking ground. All I know is he can play hockey. He can shoot the puck. He's got the second best shot in the draft. And he might come over in two years. He might come over in three years. But he's going to come over. And he'll be better for it. Maybe he'll be Kirill Kaprizov. Ever heard of him? Plays for Minnesota. Didn't play until he's 22 in the National Hockey League. You think Minnesota regrets taking him? You think that's a regretful pick that they have? Oh, we took him. He always only came over when he was 22. He's a superstar in the league. This kid is going to be great. Not good, great. I've seen him play three times in person at the World Juniors last year before COVID fucked it all up. And he was awesome. At that time, it was Bedard and Michkov. That was the talk. That was the top two players in the draft. Since then, what's happened to change it? Well, they started a war with the, with Ukraine, and now Russia can't play international hockey. Okay. The Russian government ar- arrested Brittany Griners, and then it, it affected the KHL. The, the league was shut down for a long period of time. Russia is not being acknowledged in any kind of events. And... Every person that's from there seems to be thrown under the same umbrella and they're all either pro-Putin or we can't talk about Russia, so we can't take this kid. That's all that's changed. Has it anything to do with the hockey player? He's played pro hockey the last year and a half in the KHL, in the top league. I don't understand how he could be the obvious second overall and now he may drop Sam Cosentino, who works for Sportsnet, has him going seventh to Philadelphia. I I, I don't understand this. I, I don't see it as a conservative pick. I see it as the smart one. If I'm San Jose, I'm taking him at four. I'm not taking Will Smith. I'm not taking Ryan Leonard. Okay, fine. Take those players. They're safe. They're conservative picks. What? We're trying to win here. San Jose's going to move out Eric Carlson. They got to do some stuff. Say in three years, he comes over two years when they're ready to win. Wouldn't that be perfect? And he's on an entry level. And he got him for cheap and he comes over and completely wrecks the league. I don't think this kid's going to be a bust. And to me, if he goes any lower than fourth, it's a mistake. It's a mistake from these organizations being ignorant to the fact that he's from Russia in a contract that here's a newsflash, everybody. 90% of these kids won't play in the NHL. And here's another newsflash. These Will Smith, Ryan Leonard's, they're going to go play NCAA. So that's one year gone. Maybe they play two years. Maybe they come and they play in the American League for a year. So they might get one more year than Meechkov in the NHL before he arrives. So what the fuck was the difference? I'm passionate about this because it angers me that you can label somebody a problem because he's from a country where they have a problematic leader. 
There would be countries, namely the United States, who say that we have a problem. We might be problems as Canadians because our leader is a woke, fucking crazy person who is so pro everything other than normalcy and common sense. So what is the what is normal? What is sensible? Do I think Putin is a good person? No, I think he's a piece of shit, and I think they should try to get rid of him from Russia. That would be the smart thing to do. But does that mean that this kid is a problem because he's from a country where they have a dictator for a leader? No, because he's a 17-year-old kid from a country. We're all, we were all once 17-year-old kids from a country. We got scandals on Team Canada about kids, about what they were doing, and they were all high draft picks. And the World Juniors, and you know what I'm talking about. The scandal that's kind of gone away, the scandal about women and uh, sexual behavior that's kind of been swept underneath the rug. Those kids were from Canada. They were our, our boys, if you will. They not problems. We don't think about that anymore. Uh, we, we got no problems there as Canadians. Don't throw stones at glass houses. Seriously. This is a draft. This isn't the popularity contest. This is business and I'm trying to win. I'm trying to build the best team. Matt Bimichkov's the pick for San Jose. I don't think he's going to go for, but if they do, credit to Mike Greer and I'll give him that credit tomorrow here on the program. Pivoting off that. Another prospect I like, and I think he has the most upside of any prospect in this draft, is David Rickenbacker. He's a defense. He's a defenseman. Watching him at the World Juniors, he's a talented, talented player. He can, I think he's going to get bigger. He's strong. Right shot defender, two-way. And I, I just like his style of play. I think he's got like I think he's got room to get even better than he already is. Cosentino has him going six to Arizona. I hope he doesn't go to Arizona. <laughs> but he's to me, there's two defense in this draft that are completely head and shoulders above the rest. There's Rickenbacker and there's Axel Sandin Pelica from Sweden. Sandin Pelica has more flash. He has more flair. And I also think he's going to be very good. He moves the puck quick. He's fast in decision-making. And he was Sweden's best defenseman as a 17-year-old at the tournament this past year. The way he played in the big, in the big games, the way he played against Canada in particular, he, he, he didn't play scared. He didn't play like he was small. He just, I, I like him. I really do. To me, he would be the defenseman you look at and go, if you're, if you're if the safer pick is Sandine Pelican. Rickenbacker is the, is the defenseman to me that can really produce, that can really get better and better, but you can't do wrong with either pick. You'll have guys like Tom Willander going in the, in the first round on defense, but it's not Oliver Bonk is another uh, interesting uh, prospect. 
who was just cut from the World Junior team this year, should play on it next year. Um, you have some defensemen I see going in the bottom of the first round. But these two guys are the names to look out for tonight. I think they both go in the top 10, and I think they're both really good NHL players. Dalibar Dvorsky. He played for Slovakia at, in the World Juniors this year. Was in that great, phenomenal game between Slovakia and Canada, if you remember that, in Halifax. Conor Bedard scoring that incredible OT winner. He is... I would label him as an Andrzej Kopitar type. This kid is very... I figure out my assignment... I do it correctly. If I need to win face-offs tonight, I win face-offs. If I need to be physical, I'll be physical. I will. He's got a good shot. He needs to use it more. This is a player with a whole lot of potential. But I think the problem with him as a player is he puts himself into a box. And he's extremely coachable, which is great. But he, at this point in his life, he puts himself in a box and he says, this is what I do. Now, that would worry me a bit as a talent evaluator, because can I get him to expand? Can I get him to break out? Can he go full Hulk and rip out of the of the suit, or rip out, rip out, rip out his chest and do more? Because I know there's more there. So that's what these scouts, that's what talent evaluators will have to figure out. Is and I'm soon they talk to him at the draft. What 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 can you do? Can you do more? Are you willing to break out of your box? Because I think he's got a better shot. I think he's got more skill than he's presented. But again, I've seen him play where he's been a 17-year-old in a 19 tournament. But, you know, reading reports and doing my own due diligence, that's what's said about him. And I, I found that watching him is he's he does what he's supposed to do in the moment, which is great. But he's got more there. I would take him relatively high. Cosentino has him going eighth to Washington. That makes sense. But I'm I, to me, he could be a player that drops tonight. And just, just because of that, where you look at and they go, well, Sandy Pelica has a defense at a different position, but we'll take him. Maybe we'll take Nate Daniels and Zach Benson, who's a left winger, had a, had a really good season this year. We'll take him. He's got more upside. Brandon Yeager is uh, re really skilled. Samuel Hansek, another guy who is maybe he drops. I don't think he drops that much, but he's got a lot to bring to the table. He's a smooth player, and I like him. I do. I I, I like Dalibar Dvorsky. But you got the first round tonight, second to seventh rounds tomorrow. We'll recap the draft tomorrow here on the program. Also look forward to the second rounds. We should see some some players from the Maritimes going in, in the second to seventh rounds yesterday. So that's always interesting. But yeah, this is a fun, I think it'll be a fun night, the draft. I think it'll be a fun evening. I think there'll be some surprises. There'll be some names that we remember forever because they're really good talents. Obviously, Connor Bedard jumps to the top of that equation. But to me, the draft starts at four.
because San Jose is on the clock. Do they trade out? Do they make do they make decisions when it comes? Do they decide to go a different direction? What do they do? I don't know. That's where it starts. Anything else before we wrap up today? Oh, Taylor Hall is a Blackhawk. Forgot to mention that. Taylor Hall was traded to the Blackhawks for RFA rights to Alec Pagula and Ian Mitchell. Also Nick Foligno. Nick Foligno re-upped with Chicago. A salary dump for Boston. But I think it's a good player to play with Connor Bedard. So it's not a bad play for Chicago. Connor Bedard won the Ted Lindsay, his fourth. Patrice Bergeron won his sixth Selkie trophy. Connor McDavid won his third heart. Carlson won his third Norris. Jim Montgomery, Jack Adams. Maddie Beniers went to the Calder. I felt Owen, Owen Power should have won it, but that's just me. Do I think I'm right? Of course. It's me. The draft this tonight. The draft tonight. I think we'll see some trades as well, so we'll react to it all tomorrow here on the program. Thank you all for hanging out today. Really appreciate it, as always. Thank you for the support and all that you do here for me at To The Point. Have a great rest of your day. Enjoy the first round. We'll recap it all tomorrow here on To The Point.